All right, if you could make your way to your seat at this time. We are going to get started with the preaching of God's Word. Uh, Again, I just want to extend a welcome to those who are, are new or newer to Christ's community. For the last couple of weeks, we have been taking a brief pause from our uh, current series, Seeing Christ in All Scripture, even though really we can see Christ in all Scripture no matter where we're at. And we were originally in the the book of 1 Samuel. And so last week, if you were here with us, uh, Ethan Krause preached from Isaiah 59 to showcase God's redeeming power, which I was really blessed by. But today we will be looking at Psalm 117. So if you have your Bibles, if you have a device, feel free to turn to Psalm chapter 117. So about two months ago, Luba who's my wife, and I, we encountered a problem that no one really anticipates nor desires. Our car, one day, didn't start. And when we turned that key in the ignition, it, it didn't start. And as you can imagine, uh, we had a certain level of anxiety uh, building since we only have one car. We've only had one car since we've been married for the last four years, and we also have at the time, it was about a couple months ago, so we had a newborn child who was only one month old. So you can kind of do the math and experience like, you're thinking worst case scenario, how am I going to get to where I need to get to if something goes wrong? Or just to work for that matter. For that matter. Um, thankfully, we had some wonderful neighbors. Now, if you don't know who my neighbors are, they go by the names of Tom England and Kevin Steffen. And let me publicly say how grateful I am for them both. Now, in full disclosure, I don't really know anything uh, about fixing cars, okay? I'm not going to claim to. I do front bulbs, and I may, uh, well, that's about it. Windshield wiper? That's about it. Um, but the combination of Tom's background knowledge and his YouTubing abilities led us to the problem, or at least we hoped it was the problem at the time. And so, I, again, I did had to do research myself, but within our starter, within the starter of our Hyundai Sonata, there was a plastic piece called a starter lever. Okay, and I actually got a picture of this because I didn't know what it I didn't know what this was. It was an impressive piece. This is actually kind of obviously not drawn to scale up here. Um, it was not very impressive. It's seemingly un- unimportant. The, the piece was about four inches long, two inches wide. It was made of plastic compared to the steel that was encased in. And it was only $8 when I bought it from the local dealership. And yet, Tom and Kevin, when they pulled out that starter, this piece was snapped, just like how it was here. Apparently, it turns out to be a very common problem among many Honda Sonatas around that 2012-2011 range. So if your car's not starting, you're welcome. You know the reason why, probably. This small, seemingly insignificant part uh, that was broken really did, though, control, we found out, because when we, they, not me, uh, when they put in the new starter lever, it worked perfectly fine. 
our car started, this little piece controlled whether our car would start. And without it, we could not take full advantage of what our car had to offer. It was just a heaping pile of metal in our garage with no use apart from this. Now, brothers and sisters, Psalm 117 is kind of a starter level type of passage. At first glance, we look at the two verses here, and we may be tempted to think it's so short, maybe it's, it's just not that significant, and that we might even be tempted to think, well, surely this sermon's going to be a lot faster than typical one. So we can get home early, watch some football. And honestly, I, 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 can, I can struggle with this without myself. I used to think this about just small pieces of scripture or just small memory verses. Like, what could I possibly get out of two verses found in scripture? But church, we must recognize and acknowledge that the power of scripture is not based upon how we view it. It's based upon how God views it. In all scripture, according to 1 Timothy, is breathed out by God. It is profitable. It is beneficial. Not one part of Scripture is less significant or less valuable to our Creator who's inspired it. To use the language of the illustration, God is the divine manufacturer who's inspired each part of His Holy Word for our good and for His glory. So as we read Psalm 117, let us be led to praise and joy in our God who wastes nothing. No peace is by accident. So let's read Psalm 117 together, and then I'll pray. This is God's word. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you, we thank you for Psalm 117. We thank you for your steadfast love and faithfulness as we will dive in, see what this means. Holy Spirit, help us to not fixate on the length of this psalm, but rather the truth that is found here, the substance that is found here. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill each believer to treasure you even more, even if we're not excited this morning, even if our feelings say Psalm 117 is just not jazzing me up this morning. I pray that you would allow us to see the risen Jesus, who is living proof that you keep your promises, and that you would be glorified and made this church and these brothers and sisters be built up. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So Psalm 117 is within a stretch of Psalm from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, often referred to as the Egyptian Hallel. In Hebrew, Hallel means praise, and it's where we get our modern word, our English word, hallelujah, from. And particularly, it's referred to as the Egyptian Hallel because it's often uh, connected to Passover. And it's believed, according to scholars, that this section of Scripture from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 was believed to have been sung after the Passover meal with Jesus and his disciples. And so we're reading something that's very powerful, very meaningful, something that our Lord and Savior was believed to have been singing 
the night that he was betrayed, the night that he would um, be on trial. And so here we read some precious scripture for us to enjoy. Now, as we go through Psalm 117, we're going to be looking at this big truth. And it's very simple. It is this, that we ought to praise God for his faithfulness. Praise God for his faithfulness and have two points. The first being the praise of God and the second being the faithfulness of God. Then praise God for his faithfulness. First, the praise of God found in verse one and then the faithfulness of God. So beginning in verse 1, look with me in your Bibles. Notice how the psalm begins. Praise the Lord. Now you may have noticed, and this is something that's been a recurring theme, obviously that we've been in the Old Testament for quite some time now. And as Ethan also preached from Isaiah 59, you may notice that the word Lord is in all caps. And this praise that is called of these people, the people of Israel, has an object. There is an object of praise. That is Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. And we see the psalmist repeat kind of a similar command using different words. Now remember, when we are in poems, right? We're talking about poetic genre of psalms. There is this thing called parallelism in which we have kind of two verses or phrases kind of almost seemingly side by side, stacked on one another that are pointing at a similar theme. But the first, as compared to the second, differs in that the second is meant to ultimately sharpen the first. So we we see the phrase, first phrase, praise the Lord. And then it's accompanied with the phrase extol him. And again, as I was just kind of having the opportunity to talk and discuss even, um, with with Ethan and, and just kind of going over this further, it is, while a synonym, it's really meant to give it to greater focus. We might compare it to a, a modern day version of saying something is good and then saying something is extravagant, right? Good is kind of very broad. And extravagant can be a little bit more specific. It's a kind of in that way, sharpening the edge of what, this psalmist is trying to point us to. And ultimately, to praise or to extol, this is meant to give us a sense of admiration or adoration for the object, that being God, Yahweh himself. Adoration. Now, ask yourself this, church, and be honest. Do we actively admire or adore God? Do we actively do that? I don't know if it's, it, 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 we're able to passively adore God. But I guess then that begs the question, how do we actively adore God? Recently, I, I remember sharing a story um, with my care group um, about the fact that I was driving past Blue Marsh Lake and I looked at it, a body of water and I was just, taken aback by it. It was beautiful. Just before daylight savings time, there was just enough light to come across and just glisten across the lake. 
And I'm just, I, I love looking at bodies of water. It could be a stream. It could be a lake. It could be a trickle on a YouTube video. I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. Actually, I just love watching and looking at running water, um, except when it's the one that I have to pay for, of course. Um, and so I recalled um, a time in which my wife and I went on a cruise with our family one summer. And one of the most spectacular sights, if you've ever been on a cruise or any body of water where you can't see land, was going to the library. They had a library that was right across from the pool area. And I remember going there with my Bible in the mornings and just staring at just these these kind of floor-to-ceiling walls just out and just seeing nothing but ocean. Endless water, as far as the eye can see, and it was beautiful. But in order to admire this view, I had to do something that was really important. Okay? I had to get out of the room. Right? I had to get out of, because our cabin was in the inner part of the ship. I was required to travel upstairs, went through the hallway, went onto the deck, past the pool, and then I was in the library. And so in other words, you know, if I wanted to see the ocean, I had to take an active role. Okay? Now in God's kindness... He has given us his precious word as a window to gaze upon his beauty and his precious promises. And our temptation is to remain in the cabin, lying passively on our beds. I mean, what would you say to someone who went on a seven-day cruise and all they do is stay inside looking at videos of the ocean? Isn't that just odd, right? Isn't odd where if you just find me, I'm just on YouTube videos looking at the ocean. You would say to that person, go outside. The ocean's over there. Look at it. Adore it. Admire it. The same is true when we neglect looking upon the word of God. Church. We do ourselves a disservice in our relationship with God, with our Savior, if we just survive off Sunday sermons. We ought to foster praise moment by moment by being amazed with God's words in the same way that we would look upon the ocean and say, wow, that is wonderful. And we often had that temptation to say to myself, like, I just don't think I'm hearing from God lately. I don't feel like I, don't feel like I, I know what's, what to do. Well, Let's, let's admire God together. Let, let us look upon these 66 love letters and be amazed together. And even in the trial and even in the struggle, we still praise the Lord. We still extol the Lord. But let, us not, let it not be because we choose to neglect what he's given us. And say, well, I'd just rather remain in the cabin. I, I... Additionally, in addition to praising the Lord, admiring the Lord, actively looking into His Scriptures, we must also remember that the intentional part of Scripture points us to who is to praise Him. And so if we look back, obviously, in your text, we see that there is a call to praise But we also say who is required to praise. Verse 1 says all nations. 
And then it says all peoples. And again, this, this intentional parallelism meaning to sharpen, going from nations to peoples, a way that you could rephrase these scriptures and kind of rearrange them is to say, all you nations praise the Lord, all you peoples extol him. And it's clear that praising God is not just meant for a select group of people, not just the Jews either, even though they were the original audience. And we know this because it's affirmed, and that's why it's so important that we know our Old Testament in connection to the New Testament, because in Romans 15, 11, Paul quotes this very psalm. It's no, it's no coincidence, right? It's no coincidence that Paul, in the book of Romans, quotes this as evidence to support God's plan to bring salvation to the Gentiles also, to all nations, to all people. There is no difference between the Old Testament and New Testament God. The plan was the same. He is consistent. And of course, Gentiles being those who are outside of Jewish heritage, his kindness, Romans 2.4, is meant to bring us to repentance. Notice the kindness of God, church. To even make himself known, right? And this is a contrast, and I would, I would argue to say this is a very sharp contrast between the characterization of God and our culture, right? God, the self-sustaining, eternal being, the creator of the universe, extends and extends hope to the nations. And yet people want to accuse him of being a monster. In the public square, we as Christians are characterized as intolerant and hateful. And we shouldn't be surprised by this, church. The world loves darkness rather than light. And Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to view this gospel as truly being glorious. So church, let us, let us, let us rejoice. Okay, let us rejoice knowing that we are counted as his children. Right? The fact that out of all people that have ever existed, that the however many billion that are just currently existing right now on this planet, you and I, for those who are repented and believed in Jesus, are saved. That is crazy. That's a miracle. We sometimes look for miracles that are a lot more, give us more pizzazz, but that is one of the greatest miracles that's ever happened. You and I being saved. By God. We were once blind, and now we see by grace. And this brings us to point number two, which is the faithfulness of God. The psalmist transitions to the second verse, and we see the conjunction for. So if you look back in your text, again, we see praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. For, it's a conjunction, another way that this could be read would be praise the Lord and extol him because, right? You know your conjunctions, fanboys. Sorry, that was just my little English, a uh, little plug there. Somewhere it's Schoolhouse of Rock is being replayed in your brain. Praise and extol him for, praise and extol him because. And so while the first verse is a call to praise, the second verse is a cause to praise. It's the reason why we praise. And we see again the parallelism that's taking place in this Hebrew poetry 
in the form of two reasons. The first is for his great steadfast love towards us. The NASB, I'm reading from the ESV, the NASB reads his loving devotion. This word steadfast love, this, this, this idea of steadfast love is in the Hebrew hesed. It's referring to his consistent covenant-keeping promise to his people. And we sang about that this morning, right? His steadfast love. Consistent covenant-keeping promise. And then we see... What else? Why else should we praise the Lord? It reads, And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. And the NASB, again, just providing some even just greater sharpness to this, this point, is referring to the truth of the Lord endures forever. And isn't that awesome, church? Isn't it awesome that... The Lord's faithfulness, it's bound in truth. It's who he is. One biblical commentator brings clarity to this, and I think he does it wonderfully. This is what he writes, and I didn't have the opportunity to put it on the screen, so just follow with me if you're taking notes. This is what he says in regards to the truth of the Lord enduring forever in connection with his steadfast love. In that sense, It would be saying that whatever God said, especially in his covenant promises, is completely reliable, eternally true. The idea of faithfulness or reliability being at the heart of its meaning. In other words, church, he'll never go back on his promises. Just ponder, ponder this for a second, church. This is our God. This is our God. The one who doesn't go back on his promises. The one who's 100% reliable. And he's the only God. And that's why he demands praise. Just ponder that for a second. That he is completely reliable. Can you think of anyone else who is 100% reliable in your life? I'm going to gander to say no. No matter how much someone has done for you in this life, there is no one who could ever be 100% reliable in this fallen world. Many of you aware are aware that I'm a, I'm a middle school teacher. And even though I have grown a lot in five years of teaching, one of the skills that still plagues me is this one thing, consistency. Probably parents, you can relate to that as well. I can't tell you how many times I have said I would do something and did not follow through. And when you work for middle schoolers, with middle schoolers, they let you know when you don't follow through. Right? Sometimes they remember what I've said better than I remember what I've said. And sometimes they aren't the most gracious when keeping me accountable to what I've said. Church, Let me make one thing very clear. God does not struggle with following through. You may deal with constant disappointment, with circumstances in this life, 
you may have been failed by people, by family, people who are supposed to have your back, and they keep failing you. You may have failed God again and again and again. But let me declare this boldly this morning. God will never fail. Ever. You can take him to the bank as people who knew their Old Testament, who are hearing this, speaking of God's steadfast love, his hesed, his truth, that he is completely reliable. This was not hard to believe. This was not hard to believe for them because from overthrowing Pharaoh in Egypt after 400 years of captivity to the the Canaanites in Jericho to slaying Goliath to you name it, they've seen it. Who has the power to save? We know the power has never come from the people that God decides to use graciously for his glory. We know that it's Yahweh's own arm that brings salvation to his people again and again and again and again without fail. This is why verse 2 is a direct commandment. Verse 1 is a commandment and 2 is a follow-up. By nature, we could never provide our own means of salvation. And on this side of the cross, we get the luxury of seeing the fulfillment of a promise that was just a shadow to the Israelites. So so in your minds, go back with me to Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, we see that God makes a covenant that this first gospel, the proto-gospel, was promised that one would be born of a woman, would be wounded in the process of destroying Satan, this seed of the woman, who would crush the serpent's head is none other than Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, Fulfilled every prophecy regarding his first coming. Suffered and was crucified. Bearing the full wrath of God. Then he was raised to life. Beating death. So that anyone who repents and believes in Jesus Christ. Will have their sins forgiven. And this is why any commandment. Given by God. Is meant to be done out of delight. And not duty. It's because he's kept his promises. And that's why it's so almost insane. That we see through scripture. That the heart of man is so prone to forget the reliability of our God. It's it's not that we forget it in the, oh, that's not logged in my long-term memory. I need a brain test to help me remember. No, no, no. It's it's that sense of it's playing in the background like a humming fan, and it just kind of, you get used to it being there, remembering God's faithfulness. And we have those times, and if you you can relate to what what I go through, I think to myself, how am I ever going to get through this? Luba, how are we ever going to make it through this? And those are the times where I need to remember. I need to remember what God has already done. Namely, what he's provided through Jesus Christ. Because we can't always rely on our past circumstances to dictate his faithfulness. Because some of us, if we're being honest, have gone through some really hard times in life. And if we say, oh, well, like, he wasn't there for me then. I was struggling and suffering then. I can't do it. No, 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 no. Look to the cross. Look to the cross. That is, that, is, that is the most wonderful sign that you can see that God is not apathetic to your suffering, to your circumstances, that he did not withhold his only son for you, church. And so our mindset, as we think about his steadfast love towards us, his faithfulness towards us, 
our mindset should not be, I have to obey him begrudgingly. I have to, man, like, wishing I'd have to do this. Sick and tired of this. No, no, no. We, we get to obey joyfully because what he's done for us. We, we get to honor him. We get to praise him. But of course, this does beg the question. I would be remiss if I didn't include this in here. This begs the question, have you responded to the kindness of God by repenting and believing in Jesus in the first place? Friend, unbelieving friend, if you are here, adult, teen, child, it doesn't matter. If you are here and you are responding to the kindness of God with a hardness of heart that says, well, I can't praise God because fill in the blank, right? I can't praise a God who would fill in the blank. The Bible says that God has performed the kindest act in history to save sinners. The king dying for rebels. The hero dying for the villain. But friends, if you are not in Christ, if that is not your belief for you, and you say, no, that's for someone else. I don't ascribe to that. If Christ is not your Savior, you will not be held fast by the promise of that salvation. Instead, you will be swept away and and cast out by the promise of eternal judgment in hell. Trust me, God keeps his promises. And we cannot pick and choose which ones we enjoy about God like a buffet. We can't just pick and choose and say, well, I like this promise because that one makes me feel good right now. But I don't like this promise. No, 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 no. Either we believe it. All or believe none of it. God must be faithful to uphold both justice and his grace, and therefore he must punish sin. They are inextricably bound together. So whether you believe Jesus took your punishment or you take your punishment, those are the only two options, friends. They're the only ones that are provided in Scripture. And so I, my prayer, my prayer, and I say this for, again, for any adult, teen, child who is here has yet to respond to the gospel. I pray that you would turn away from your idea of who God is and to agree with God according to how he's revealed according to scripture. This is objective. Your feelings are subjective. They go up and down. God's word is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's reliable. He's trustworthy. Believe upon him. He is the standard of truth. He is the way. And he is the life. And brothers and sisters, for those who, of us who have repented, who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, he is eternally true. He's eternally reliable. He's eternally faithful. And as Christians, we eagerly wait our Savior 
who currently sits at the right hand of God the Father. This is a reality that's more real than even what we experience right now. It is just as real. We are not people without hope this morning. Amen? Right? I mean, again, like, it's okay that our feelings aren't lining up with how marvelous it is in Psalm 117. That's okay. Allow your feelings to catch up with the facts of Scripture over this week. Allow Psalm 117 to be a meditation of your heart this week so that those who rest in God remember that He has a proven track record. If you think about the track record that you have at your workplace, you know it doesn't compare, does not compare. Your reliability can never be 100%. And so, church, when we're at work, right, let us. Praise the Lord, right? In the grind, when you feel like you can't do another day, it's getting stale and boring. Remember, we serve a God who's done marvelous things for us. When you're taking an exam, reading for a class, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Mom, when you're at home, with your children, and you feel burdened, and you feel like you can't do this anymore because it's just, what am I doing with my life right here alone at home? No, praise the Lord. There is worth in that worship. Teens, when you're on your sports field or, or you're on the theater stage, praise the Lord. We could do this forever, and we will do it forever. Let us get into the habit, the practice of praising God in all circumstances, thanking God for all things meant to be for our good. And may God give us us all the grace not to just use praise the Lord as a passing phrase or a text message, that there is power in that. But rather, let it be An ongoing lifestyle. Ongoing lifestyle to the glory of God the Father. And may Psalm 117 be that starter level that ultimately drives us with greater joy in Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to ask the worship team to come forward at this time. We're going to close and we're going to sing and we're going to praise our God. We're going to praise our God. So let me pray for us. God, we praise you and we adore you this morning. We thank you for the small but powerful truth found in Psalm 117. God, it's the simple truths that we need to hear repeated over and over again. It's the same truth that we need to hear repeated over and over again. God, forgive us for the times in which we have not praised you. Forgive us for the times in which we forget about your faithfulness, about your reliability. Forgive us of our doubts and our fears that that cripple us often when we think 
How are we going to get through this circumstances? How are we going to get through fill in the blank? God, may we hold fast to you. And if that means that we're, we're, we're on the ground grabbing at the cross because we feel like we have no energy left, let it be that way. May we be desperate for you, God. And as we praise you, may it be with joy. May it be even with tears, God. May it be even in our struggles with anger and frustration, God. May we not cease to praise you because you deserve it. Regardless of our circumstances, we know that you have won the greatest victory and have done the most kindest act to us in all of history. There's no one else who could do it for us. You provided your own son for us. You did not withhold him, God. And we're so grateful for the fact that you would love us that much while we were yet sinners to die for us, God. I pray that that would be enough, God. I pray that that sacrifice would be enough for us. That even if you would, you, you take our bodies and you take everything from us, God, will we still praise you? Though you slay us, yet I will praise you. God, may that be our hearts for the rest of our lives, not just this week, God. God, I pray that you would give us much joy as we finish with this closing song. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. God, for his faithfulness. As Joshua had mentioned, this, this verse from Psalm 117 is quoted in Romans 15. And as Paul concludes that section in Romans 15, he concludes with this doxology that will be our benediction together this morning. Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Because of God's steadfast love, because of God's faithfulness, May you, dear brother, dear sister, abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great Sunday, church.